You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, now that the dust has settled at least a little bit, and I'm sure there's still going to be some things changing, I'm, I'm skeptical that the new guys are going to be the new guys for a long time. We'll see, though. they got to get some time to, uh, to practice and whatnot. I want to talk a little bit about the new guys, who they are, what they're about. Talk a little bit about this Jonathan Taylor situation. Not a whole lot to say about it, but, um, you know, whatever. Kind of take a look at where the roster stands right now. And uh, to begin with, though, a little bit of NFC North news. TJ Hawkinson, which is still a thing that happened that I, I, I don't understand. I feel like we all just kind of moved on. Like, oh, yeah, what, what, what the heck just happened here? <laughs> it's, you know, it's funny. For, for those that are somehow out of the loop, TJ Hawkinson was a very high draft pick by the Detroit Lions. The Lions traded him to the Vikings. And then the Vikings gave him a massive contract. This is why, by the way, remember there was a big thing with Aaron Rodgers, and they're like, He'll, they'll never trade him to an NFC team. Okay, that isn't true. Or during the draft, you'd never trade with somebody in the division. And then what happened? Like the Vikings traded exclusively with people in the division. This is, first of all, why did Detroit trade away Hawkinson? I know he's not that good. But you're a team that's building. He's young. He's talented. You're probably not going to find a better tight end than that anytime in the near future. Why not hang on to him? But then to trade him to a division rival. This is, by the way, the, the same thing with, uh, what was it? Oh, Bosa. I, I had posted this earlier. There were rumors that Bosa might get traded from the 49ers, which is, you know, probably BS. But anyways, I just said, you know, as much as I would love for the 49ers to lose him, I'm way too scared that somebody in our division would pick him up. And there were, of course, of course, several people who had to swing in and say, not going to be in the NFC. Listen, I, I, I get that that's not your favorite thing for it to be an NFC team. You'd rather be an AFC team because it feels slightly further away. But I don't care what made-up rules you have in your head. These things do happen. If a guy like Bosa could be traded, it's possible he can go to an NFC team. I don't know why it is we feel like NFC teams play NFC teams every single year. When was the last time we played the Carolina Panthers? Three years ago? So again, I, I don't know what Detroit's doing. I'm not entirely sure I know what, what the Vikings are doing. I mean, I guess I do. You, you want a tight end, and you got a tight end, and he's young. He's you're probably paying him too much money, but whatever. But then again, it was a trade in the division, which is just strange. I mean, the, the Lions must have just freaking hated the guy. Like, not only are we going to offload this guy and this massive contract he wants, but we're about to make the Vikings worse. <laughs> but again, we're just going to continue on like nothing happened. We'll just shrug our shoulders and pretend this isn't a very, very weird situation that I have yet to have an explanation for. But TJ Hawkinson signed a four-year, $66 million contract with the Minnesota Vikings. This includes a $42.5 million guarantee and an average annual salary of $16.5 million. In 2023, Hawkinson will earn a base salary of $9.392 million while carrying a cap hit of $9.392 million. I don't know if that's 100% verified or not. I'm, I'm looking on Track, and they don't really have this all laid out, so I don't think we have 
the structure. I'm guessing they kind of just have like they have a layout and you kind of put in some filler stuff. I don't think that last part's probably going to be true, but it doesn't matter. The structure of it is is important if you're a Vikings fan, otherwise we don't really super care. We got the total, we got the guaranteed money, which is most of the total, which means they're going to be on the hook for almost all of this contract, probably not the final year, but whatever. And so this is a thing that pretty much, as far as I can tell, everybody's happy about. Vikings fans are like, yeah, we locked down TJ Hawkinson, that's so great, and everybody else is laughing at them like, ha, you don't have money because of a tight end who's kind of mid. And to be fair, I mean, you know, I mean, we don't have a full, I guess, sample, but his production went down when he went to Minnesota. Which makes sense, because Detroit's offense was actually better than Minnesota's offense. But for example, if you look at his receiving grade in Detroit, it was a 75. And then for the rest of the year, he was in Minnesota, dropped to a 69. Not a massive change, but, you know, it's not great that you get a guy that's decent, and then suddenly he's less than that. But he's fine, you know? I mean, he ranked, as a receiving tight end, he ranked 12th. Overall, Hawkinson was 13th, so he's he's right in that range. He's just outside of being a top 10 tight end, and you paid him number one tight end money. So, I mean, gotta do what you gotta do, man. I swear, the NFC North, man. I'm starting to understand this whole thing where people are like, you only got two Super Bowls, you suck. And it's like, yeah, well, it's hard to beat all these other... Oh, wait a minute, everyone else is an idiot. <laughs> to be fair, a couple teams that are, you know, in the Super Bowl are actually pretty good. Man, oh man, though. I mean, to be fair, if you want to be just a box score checker, you could see that he was second in yards and then call him like a, you know, a lock top five tight end because obviously, and then, you know, he was, I don't know, top 10-ish in touchdowns. If you were smart, you would just say, well, how often did they throw to him? And then I would tell you that it was a lot. It was, uh, oh, I don't know, second. So it makes sense that you would be second in yards when you were the second most targeted. You know what I'm saying? Probably a slight correlation there. Um... Unfortunately, the other problem with TJ Hawkinson is that he's not necessarily Gronkowski where he's a receiver but also a blocker. He ranked 40th as a run blocker, and as a pass blocker, he's, boy, 64th out of 82, so he's way down there. So there you go. The Vikings are doing things. Also got news on uh, Tyreek Hill discipline. Apparently there's not going to be any, so okay, there you go. Congrats to the D-bag who just randomly starts swinging on people and doesn't have any repercussions that's cool and the biggest news of the day matt corral was signed by the patriots and so i will be in a deep state of depression because he's going to be the next tom brady and we're all going to have to pay the price for that so oh and then before we move on one other thing the bears did sign uh, nathan peterman to be a backup quarterback the only reason that's relevant and i'm i'm upset that they did it i wish they could have waited one day because it dawned on me I was watching some stuff about the Chicago Bears and their roster and everything else. Tyson Bagent is the only quarterback that they had. This guy was like a D2 quarterback. Not like it. He was a D2 quarterback, which means if you don't count the preseason as real games, we were one Justin Fields injury away from going up against a guy whose last actual game was not just in college, but Division II college. But um, obviously the Bears went and rectified that, went back and got Nathan Peterman, which sucks because Peterman's actually a better quarterback than Justin Fields. So if there is an injury, then they actually have a halfway decent quarterback. I'm just kidding. I'd be less scared of Peterman because the dude can't move. Eh, maybe. I don't know. It's close. All right, let's briefly talk Jonathan Taylor here for a minute. Now, I don't know the situation. I don't know how real this is. We we know that Brian Gutekunst, and, and the really crazy thing is, apparently in this story, Brian Gutekunst never even got on the phone. Now, I don't know how much 
um, authority these scouts have in order to start negotiations or whatever the case may be. But if it doesn't even get to the point where we put Brian Gutekunst on the phone, how real are we really getting? At least that's a report, which is conflicting with other reports. It, it doesn't matter. The point is, I, I really don't know. I mean, we, we've seen this before, right? Where the, oh, there's three teams in on this player. And then we come to find out later, one of those teams was the Packers. Oh my goodness! Right, the Packers are in on every single one. And and look, it, the way that this works. And and again, I'm not. I don't mean to dispel that it's serious because it may have been a very serious push. And I want to kind of talk about that for a minute after this. But I, I just want to kind of get us to the point where we understand the the thought process behind this. Every player has a value. Every player on our team. Every player on somebody else's team. And the point is to try to stack as much value, talent, as you can on your roster. And so Jonathan Taylor has a value. There's a number assigned to him. It, it reminds me a lot of when I used to do eBay, and I freaking miss it to this day because it was so much fun. But the, the very bottom line is I will buy anything. When I was doing eBay stuff, I will buy literally anything in the world. The only two questions that matter to me aside from does it sell, which, believe it or not, pretty much everything does sell, the only things that mattered, how much does it sell for, how much can I buy it for? We know Jonathan Taylor's price. That's what it sells for. Let's just draw up an arbitrary number. It sells for $100. I'm not going to buy it for $100. No, this is, this is where the analogy goes awry, because I need a massive margin. But in my case, if I can get this thing for like 25 bucks, which is usually what I would try to do, get it for one quarter of, of what I can sell it for on eBay, which is easier than you would think, then I'll take it. If it's a higher price thing, maybe I'll, I'll come up a little bit, 30 bucks, maybe 40 bucks, I don't know, if I think it'll sell fast or whatever. In the case of this, it might, it might be like 80. You know, if I, if I can get value here, if I can get Jonathan Taylor on our team and just overall increase the value of our team, and yes, there's, there's value in the future and all these different variables. It's, it's not a one-to-one example I'm giving you here with, with eBay. But it, it, it just is, in my opinion, it is basic due diligence. In fact, if the Green Bay Packers are not on the phone with the Kansas City Chiefs, at the very least, one of the scouts, a freaking low-level scout, calling another low-level scout over in Kansas City, just saying, hey man, how's it going? with Mr. Chris Jones over there, your defensive tackle. One of the best, maybe the best at this point, defensive tackles in football. If you aren't calling to at least feel out that situation, that is a dereliction of your responsibilities. Period. End of sentence. Even if you're 99% sure the Kansas City Chiefs are going to work out a deal with Chris Jones, you have a responsibility to make sure, because if they trade Chris Jones and you're like, oh shoot, we didn't even call them, you suck at your job. 77 pressures and 15 sacks on 620 attempts, 92 PFF grade, 92.2 pass rush grade. You're not even going to call and see what's going on? Let me tell you right now, I promise you, the Packers have called about Chris Jones, just like they probably called about Bosa out in San Francisco. They were probably hung up on, it doesn't matter. You have to do it. Hey, just letting you know, we're here. If you need anything, let me know. Now, as far as the rationale, I don't, I don't know. I, I think um, I think you could make a pretty solid argument for it as far as Jonathan Taylor is concerned. I mean, the, the, the easy case to make for Jonathan Taylor is his first two years in the league, he was like the number one running back or close to it, right? Elite running back. He's only 24 years old. 
And so you look at it and say, well, we have a really good Aaron Jones right now, but he's, he's what is he, 29, 30 years old? And then you look and say, well, we already have A.J. Dillon, and that's true, but I don't know that you can really compare A.J. Dillon to Jonathan Taylor necessarily. I think Jonathan Taylor is a better running back. Now, PFF really likes A.J. Dillon a lot, and I think there are questions in regard to, you know, how good is Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor in comparison to, for example, you know, you look at his yards and you think 1,800 yards, 18 touchdowns is insane, but he also had more attempts than anybody else, which brings you to the biggest issue of all. His grades in three years went from 84 to 87 to 67. His rushing grade, 84, 90, 71. He did deal with injuries, but he didn't at any point last year really show out as a good running back. His grades were mediocre the entire year, and the fact that he's having injury problems is not great. 25 years old is, is getting close to where most running backs peak, and when I say most running backs, I mean guys that haven't had a fraction of the amount of tread ripped off their tires that Jonathan Taylor has. Not only has he been run into the ground by the Indianapolis Colts, 332 attempts in 2021, he played for the Badgers. In his uh, three years, he had 816 attempts. They're not afraid of running the ball in Wisconsin. So 5,500 uh, 5, yards, 816 attempts. Then you add in nearly eight. He would have doubled that if he wasn't hurt in 2022. He's at 756 right now. So he's at 1,500 attempts in his six years, last six years playing running back. So he may have already peaked. So is he worth talking about, exploring, seeing how he's doing, maybe bringing in for a physical to kind of check how his body's holding up? Sure. Do I think it's necessarily a very good idea to bring in Jonathan Taylor because of what he did in 2021, where he had a billion attempts and had 18? By the way, his yards per attempt were 5.5. Does that number sound familiar? It's like the exact number Aaron Jones gets almost every single year, 5.5 yards per attempt. You give Aaron Jones 332 attempts in an average year, he's going to get 1,811 yards, like on the nose. And his PFF grade is about the same as Aaron Jones. We don't think of Aaron, you know, even Packer fans are listening to me rolling their eyes like, oh yeah, he's really Jonathan Taylor. He is Jonathan Taylor. We just don't see it. We don't see it because he doesn't get 30 carries a game. And it's the reason Aaron Jones has been a good running back all the way up to this point and, and will probably continue into this year, hopefully, fingers crossed, because he hasn't been run into the ground like Jonathan Taylor. So we did have a little bit of a talk about this yesterday, day before, um, me and JJ and Jake talking about this and the the fact that it seems like the Packers are overvaluing running backs or at least valuing them much higher than the rest of the NFL, which is not certainly not my preference. But at the same time, I'm absolutely not going to... Uh, I, I've never been upset about Aaron Jones being a good running back. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. And, and look, I, I don't know that we overpaid Aaron Jones. The bottom line is running backs are not worth a ton of money. Well, he didn't get a ton of money. Just because he's top of the market in a very low market doesn't mean we overpaid. Overpaid would be giving running backs what they think they're worth. And as of right now, we have not overpaid to acquire Jonathan Taylor. And, you know, there was a time when I looked at it, I thought, oh man, that might be, that might be kind of cool, man. We're kind of resetting Aaron Jones, but maybe even a slightly better version of Aaron Jones. And he's 24 years old, like just turning back time. But you look at the injuries, you look at the workload that he's had. I, I think it's more of a Dalvin Cook situation than anything else. I mean, he's better than Dalvin Cook, but Dalvin Cook was running to the ground. He kind of peaked real early, and he just kind of, you know, he carried that that moniker of being elite for a long time while he was basically being mediocre. But his yards stayed high because his attempts stayed high, so nobody really noticed that he was falling off. And I have a feeling that's going to happen with Jonathan Taylor. Now, 
again, if we if we pick him up, fingers crossed that I'm very wrong about this, but that's kind of where I land on it. And um, again, I don't fault the Packers for exploring anything. I'm not going to fault the Packers until they actually sign a contract and we can review what exactly happened. What did we have to give up? What are we getting in return? And what do we need out of this player in order to make it worth it? But we're not even to that point yet because as of right now, as far as I know, it was simply maybe a handful of phone calls to kind of see where they're at, where we would be at, et cetera, et cetera. And it does bring up an, an interesting question of what will we trade? Because you would have to assume a running back would be involved. The question is who? And, and if I remember correctly, Brian Gutekunst's comments on the two running backs were um, or, or something to the effect of A.J. Dillon will be a part of this team no matter what. In other words, wipe that off the table. We're not trading him. And then for Aaron Jones, it was he's the heart and soul of this team, which implies more than says that he would not be a part of a trade, which technically could be true as much as it seems silly that we would bring in Jonathan Taylor and have these other guys. But I don't know that that's true because we're still not really paying A.J. Dillon. And Aaron Jones will be moving on at some point. It'd be kind of silly to have this three-headed rotation, but obviously we'd be able to keep everybody fresh. I don't know. I, I think the whole thing is kind of silly. I, I think there would almost almost have to be a running back, although, again, it doesn't actually have to be. But it just it just doesn't feel right. Now, with that said... As a guy who is a self-proclaimed Ted Thompsonite, or Ron Wolfite, or whatever you want to say, I'm fine calling, him a, calling myself a Todd, Ted Thompsonite, I'm cheap, and I fully buy into this philosophy that draft and develop is what's most important. With that said, there are instances, and we are, as Packer fans, very well aware of these instances, where you can do some damage acquiring big-name players if you're able to pull it off. The Packers right now are in a very promising salary cap situation. First of all, we have $15 million. It's very rare at this stage that we have that much. That's about double probably what we usually have. There is some serious wiggle room there. Beyond that, however, the Packers are, and if you just click on 2024, the Packers salary cap situation doesn't seem great, but it's better than it seems because, again, we are not paying David Bakhtiari $40.5 million. More than likely, if I had to guess, and it's possible we, we trade him or whatever, but the fact that we are so cautious to even put him on the field means the Packers are very well aware that this shelf life is, is very limited. He will not be playing for very much longer. At least that is the Packers' perception. So in my opinion, it's much more likely that we're going to end up trading him. That's 21 additional million dollars. So that'll bring us from 26 up to $47 million in cap space. Plenty of room if we brought somebody on this year to have a pretty big, sizable contract. And, and honestly, the fact that, and, and let's go to the other side of this. I, I started off with the, I, I don't know if it's real. Let's go to the other side and say that the Jonathan Taylor thing was real. Maybe that is an indication that the Packers are willing, potentially, to look at a big swing. And why not? Look, you, you, could, you could look at this too and say it's too early, right? The Packers aren't Super Bowl caliber, this, that, or the other. They don't really, you know, eh, uh, uh. You know, some of these acquisitions are short-term. Now, I don't think you're going to necessarily do a trade that's short-term, but let, let's just flesh this out for a second. Let's pretend we have a one-year contract with a superstar. What is the downside? If we can afford them for one year, what's the downside? Well, we're not, we're not Super Bowl contenders this year. No, but we're going to be a lot better. Maybe we could kind of become that. I mean, the downside, I guess, would be uh, a slightly worse draft pick. So yeah, if you're, if you're expecting to be a top five pick, probably don't do that. But what if you're knocking on the door of the playoffs? What if you have a young team that needs a little bit of a boost? Could use that sort of veteran presence. Could, you know, 
sort of push them from teetering on playoffs to sailing into the playoffs. Potentially even winning a playoff game. See where it goes from there. I think as long as you're responsible with the contract, which is to say you're not backloading it and adding all these void years and doing all this stupid nonsense that we've done with a lot of other guys. Assuming as uh, Andrew Brandt? So many Brants. I get Andrew Brandt confused with Kyle Brandt, who could be confused with Gil Brandt, who just passed away. But anyways, as Andrew would say, as long as the cash and cap are the same, or cash follows the cap, or however he phrased it, I do think that there are opportunities. And let me just go on record as saying, as much as I think that there is close to no chance, if there is any possible way to pry Chris Jones away from the Chiefs, we should do it. I don't think I've ever said that I would give up a first-round pick for anybody. Maybe I have. I don't know. And yes, Chris Jones is getting a little bit up in age. But with my own full expectation that the Jets will be offering up their first-round pick to us, Chris Jones is an absolute elite football player. He was, again, he was graded higher than Aaron Donald this year. Probably the first year ever Aaron Donald wasn't graded as the highest player. In fact, he tied with Dexter Lawrence, both of them, 92.0, just ahead of Aaron Donald. You get Chris Jones next to Rashawn Gary with Preston Smith slash Lucas Van Ness on the other side. There will not be a better pass rush. There will not be a better defensive front. And, and by the way, as much as he's mostly a pass rusher, he's a solid run defender as well. There will not be a better defensive front in the NFL. Then you have Jair Alexander, Razul Douglas, etc., etc. We give up a first-round pick, and we make it so that we're giving up a pick in the 30s. We just smash the living crap out of everybody. Now, would we need more than a first? Maybe, yeah. I mean, the, the, the 29 years old thing would definitely uh, work against him to some degree, but yeah, I, w- I would be working that as hard as I possibly could. Speaking of, by the way, as far as talking about being better than Aaron Donald, another name on the list of potential trades is Aaron Donald. Now, there's a couple issues that I have with this here. Number one, he's 32 years old. Number two, he choked the crap out of one of our offensive linemen. <laughs> so that's, you know... That's not great. But I tell you what, if we could get over that, yes, I'm, I'm okay with this. Now, you could say, well, what about his cap? It's going to cost a billion dollars. Not really. His base salary, which is what the Packers uh, would be responsible for in 2023, $13.5 million. Now, that's going to be a lot of money with our 15 sitting there. We'd have to probably do something, which isn't great. You start kicking money out or doing whatever you got to do. I don't know. Well, the Rashawn Gary thing would actually save us a little bit of money. But then in 2024, his base salary is $10 million. What would he cost? I don't know. I mean, again, he's 32 years old, a little bit demented. But if they're seriously considering trading him, and I know, oh, the Rams would never. Well, whatever. It's part of the reason why the Chiefs thing would be better, because I I think the Packers would be a good trade partner for the Chiefs. Why not? NFC team that you don't expect to find in the Super Bowl anytime soon? Sure, go for it. And then another name, and I'm sure there's plenty of names, and I, I, I don't know the likelihood that something like this were, would happen. I haven't really seen a lot about this, but there's a lot of talk, especially among Packer fans, about safety Buda Baker. And for the record, yes, I would absolutely be on board with trading for Buda Baker. He's just 27 years old. That's, you know, a year older than when we got Zadarius and Preston. They were 26 when they came over here. Preston is still here. You know, Amos was 26. So he's just a year ahead of where those guys were. Buda Baker has been one of the best run-defending safeties in football since 2017. Maybe not the greatest coverage guy, but he's never been bad. You're going to give me average coverage, and we're talking like top, top tier, strong safety, run-defense style, um, you know, f- football play from a safety? 
100% I want that. Throw him next to Savage and let's go ahead and do it. Now it looks like the guy's in the final year of his contract. Packers would be on the hook for $13 million, which is a lot. But again, he is a solid safety. And you have the ability to immediately negotiate a contract with him as soon as he comes here. Presumably you would talk to him about that prior to a trade. You would essentially agree upon what you'd want to give him. And if he doesn't want that, then fine. But yes is the answer. I'd be on board with that. Anyways, before we take a break, I just saw this from Josina Anderson. She works at CBS. Uh, She said, I'm told both the Dolphins and Packers were willing to give running back Jonathan Taylor a contract that placed him among the highest paid running backs in the NFL entering this season per source. Now that sounds like big news, but it really isn't. Like, what what did we think? Did we honestly think that Jonathan Taylor, who's due for a contract, wouldn't command to be one of the highest paid? I mean... (laughs) Whoever has him is going to make him presumably the highest paid running back. That's sort of implied. The fact that the Dolphins and Packers were willing to make him among the highest is the most duh thing ever. Yes, you're you're not going to even, you know, pick up the phone if you're not willing to give him the contract that he is going to going to get. You assume that. You assume that you're going to take on one of the best running backs in football and pay him one of the highest contracts among running back. The question then is, what do the the Colts want in return for that? Would you think they're going to pick him up and be like, nah, I'll give you five. Like, okay, I guess this is a one and done here in Green Bay. It's kind of necessary to begin the conversation. You know who Jonathan Taylor is, right? Yes. Okay, you understand he's going to be very expensive, right, before we begin negotiations? Yes. You understand that he's going to cost you... Like, it's going to be one of the highest contracts among running backs. I mean, you, you just just making sure you get that, right? Yep, got it. So what do you want for him? Uh, like, friggin' give me Bakhtiari and Jones in the first. Okay, bye. <laughs> it's nice, nice talking to you, coked-out freak. Anyways, why don't we take a break, do a quick review or preview or some kind of view at the current roster and its current state. And, uh, you know, talk about the newbies and whatnot, and we'll see where that leaves us, okay? We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. 
Alrighty, so quarterback situation has not changed. Just looking at the not practice squad, just the 53, the guys that are going into the season. We got Jordan Love. If something happens, Sean Clifford's coming in, which, you know, the flip side of this, we're one injury away from Sean Clifford being the starting quarterback. You know, I brought it up for the Bears. I might as well mention it for us. We got Jones, Dylan, and freaking Emmanuel Wilson, which is pretty crazy just to see his name sitting there. Wide receivers, Watson, Dobbs, Reed, Heath, Wicks, and Turay. The, the, um, a lot of talk about Malik Heath lately, and I think that's fair. You know, we, we've talked for a long time about how it's going to be um, Watson, Dobbs, Reed, Ture. That's kind of the way it's going to shake out, but I don't think that that's the case. I think it's Watson, Dobbs, Reed, and then I don't know. Now, granted, you know, Samori Ture is a slot backup anyways. He's, he's backing up Jaden Reed in the slot. But even just in terms of, let's leave that all aside, where do the Packers rank these guys in terms of importance? And I had made the comment when we did the Packernet derailed, that for me, it would kind of depend. So so the, the whole conversation is about Romeo Dobbs, and if he doesn't play week one, kind of who steps in. So my thought was, if Dontavian Wicks is healthy, because he's been out for a while, I would assume Wicks would kind of fill in that Romeo Dobbs spot, meaning it would be Watson, Dobbs, Reed, Wicks, Heath, Ture. Yes, I have Ture sitting at the bottom. But at this point, I don't know, with Wicks having been out so long, I'm not entirely sure that Malik Heath, which, I mean, it's, it's crazy because we talk about the uh, undrafted free agents. There's, there's usually one that'll make the 53 from just being an undrafted free agent, which is a big feat in and of itself. But we've got Emmanuel Wilson as RB3, which means he's probably going to get a couple snaps. We've got Malik Heath, who might be the starting wide receiver in week one. And I'm not saying necessarily that that's a good thing, but... It may be Watson, Heath, and Reed if Romeo Dobbs can't go. That's freaking crazy. And, and you know, there's a question of, of not only Dobbs' health, but Dentavian Wicks' health. But even if Wicks is healthy, just he's, he's missed so much time. I just don't know. You know, I mean, I, I feel like they could try to put Malik Heath in that Alan Lazard role right out of the gate. And so you got kind of your big brute Malik Heath, pick up a couple third and fours with him, have him go out there and block. You lean on Jaden Reed to be sort of your more crafty, shifty route runner. And of course, Christian Watson's going to be your speed guy and just leave it at that. But uh, anywho, um, we are down, back down to 10 offensive linemen with Tenuta, I believe now on IR. Um, We do have five offensive tackles with Nyman, Rashid, and Jones aside from our starters. And of course, Sean Ryan, Royce Newman in at guard. And then tight end is where it gets to be a little bit more fun. We have Luke Musgrave, Tucker Craft, Josiah DeGuara, as it has been, but with new addition, Ben Sims from Minnesota. It's kind of a fun story, I guess. Ben Sims was in a meeting with the Vikings. So he gets called into the office, right? He's really thinking, I made the team. Like, I made the squad. They're calling me in. They're going to let me know. Which makes sense. I mean, they, they waved him, and then they give him a call. They're like, hey, come on in. It's like, heck yeah, dude. You don't call somebody back and say, hey, you're not going to make it. So they call him back in. He's thinking he's going to make it. Minnesota tells him, uh, you got claimed off of waivers by the Green Bay Packers. So he's pretty bummed out. Matt LaFleur gives him a call right away, or they probably gave him his number or whatever. Matt, Matt LaFleur is like, hey, man, when can you get to Green Bay? And he's like, I'll be there in four hours. Hopped in his car, drove straight to Green Bay. But anyways, there's not a ton to glean from Mr. Ben Sims other than he's a 2023 undrafted free agent. So the Packers, the one thing I would assume, aside from the Packers' need for a tight end, is they were maybe a little bit high on Ben Sims coming out of college as far as undrafted free agents go, and they probably lost him to the Vikings. So when they saw he was available, they got kind of excited because, you know, there's a lot of options out there. 
So six foot five, two hundred and fifty out of uh, pounds out of Baylor. Young, moldable, young man. Hasn't done a massive amount either in preseason or uh, in college, for that matter. This past preseason, five targets, three receptions, fifty-three yards, sixty-one receiving grade. He had a seventy-four pass blocking grade, but obviously, you know, don't do that a ton. Only did that three times. Run blocking though was a sixty-four, which is not terrible. He did that thirty times. Something to work with on that. And then his special teams grade, he had 29 reps on special teams. It was a 68.5, so a borderline 70, which really isn't very bad at all. So are there guys with more experience that have, you know, better PFF grades and everything else? Yeah, there, there probably are. But again, Packers philosophy, we're aiming for upside. We're not looking to find guys that set a, a floor, a relatively low floor. But um, yeah, he spent a bunch of time in, uh, at Baylor. In fact, 2018, 19, 20, 21, and 22, so five years there. He's only 23, though. And then kind of had a uh, trajectory that looks similar to Musgrave, which kind of makes me nervous. And what I mean by that is his grades were 61, 60, 59, so just basically call it 60 every year. And then his first two weeks last year, he, I don't want to say blows up statistically, but has a 75 grade and then a 75 grade. Like, dude, he's on track for something. What happened after that? 56, 56, 59, 54, 58, 51, 54, 52, 51, 48. It was bad. Makes me nervous what Musgrave's season would have looked like beyond those first two games. But again, there's not a ton here to get massively excited about other than the Packers are going to bring him in. They're going to see what he can do. And for all we know, he'll be gone by tomorrow. Defensively. Uh, Kenny Clark, TJ Slayton, Devontae Wyatt, Colby Wooden, Carl Brooks, and that is it. Jonathan Ford is Audi. Not going to say 5,000. I will ask this question, though. They stashed Jonathan Ford. Right? They hit him on, on the 53 until after the deadline. And then let him go. And then didn't put him on the practice squad? Same with Tariq Carpenter. I mean, I, I get that you, you don't always keep the 53 as it is. And, and I even mentioned that you can shelter people on the 53 in the meantime. But why are you sheltering them? If you don't even want them, just let them go. I don't, I, I'm, I'm sure there's a reason for this. I don't know what that could possibly be. Why don't you do that with somebody you actually care about? Do that with Grant DeBose. Put him on the 53. He's a seventh-round pick. Maybe somebody wants to grab him. I don't know. Put him on the 53. Then when you got to finalize stuff or whatever, let everybody else get snapped up. Like, oh, don't worry about it. And then sneak him real quick on the, on the practice squad. Valentine. I don't, I don't, whatever. I have no idea why you would do that. Especially since... We, we waived our long snapper, Matt Orzich. Why? Well, we needed to make room for Luke Tenuta so we could put him on IR. Why don't you wave Jonathan Ford and start of your starting long snapper? You're not even going to put him on the pre- Do you just hate them so much? Like, there's just rage? You failed me? You made me look stupid with my perfect draft? It was a perfect draft. And you made me look stupid. So guess what? Rather than putting you out there and allowing other teams to find you and maybe allow you to try to find a new team, you're just going to sit there. And I'm gonna not, you're, you're going to actually think you made the 53, man. Despite all odds and evidence and reasons, you made the 53. Congratulations. Except, nope, why don't you get out of here? Why did you do that? I'm sure there's a very rational explanation, but I can't seem to come to what that might be. I thought it was a lock. Like, the most important practice squad stashes are the ones that are going to be held 
on the roster until the last minute and then let go and put on. But that's clearly not what happened. So I, I'm just at a complete loss. So Jonathan Ford, as of right now, he may end up getting put back on. Maybe they're going to bring in some guys here, try them out. We got some new names hanging out. For example, Christian Welch is an inside linebacker that we've got currently on our practice squad. We're going to try him out, see if he can maybe uh, be a little bit better. If not, we'll bring back Tariq. I don't know. It's just such a weird freaking thing. Anyways, uh, pass rushers are all still the same. We have six. Not mad about it. Preston Smith, Lucas Van Ness, Justin Hollins, Rashawn Gary, Kingsley Anigbari, Brenton Cox. Again, I don't know that it's going to stay this way. But that's pretty cool. Quay, Campbell, McDuffie, and Wilson. Some very good news about Campbell. He actually did return to practice. I was worried he may not be available week one. I don't know if he's all the way back, but if he's at least doing some stuff, um, I'm feeling pretty confident he'll be playing week one. So that is fantastic. I think the I think the only one I'm kind of worried about at this point is, is uh, Romeo. But uh, we'll see. Also, Darnell Savage was uh, injured, and I'm sure a lot of people are heartbroken about that. But uh, cornerback, is that where we're at? Inside linebacker, I said, Quay, Campbell, Wilson, McDuffie. Corner is Jair, Valentine, and Razul with Keyshawn in the nickel. And then Rudy Ford, Darnell Savage, Jonathan Owens, Anthony Johnson, Dallin Levitt, and new addition, Zane Anderson. Zane Anderson was drafted in, uh, or not drafted, but he added himself to the NFL in 2021 as an undrafted free agent, went to the Kansas City Chiefs initially, spent 2021 and 2022 with the Kansas City Chiefs, played one total snap in the regular season, that was in 2022, got let go, Buffalo picked him up this preseason, he played weeks two and three, did not play particularly well, the tackling was terrible, run defense was average, coverage was subpar. But there's something about him we like, and immediately whenever I tell myself that, I think, oh, you should check his RAS. It's an 8.24, so he is an athletic fella. Six foot two is, is relatively big. At 206, that's decent size as well. He ran a 4.44, which is really fast. Um, his composite agility grade was great, especially his three-cone. Explosion, not as fantastic, but he's got athleticism. Packers like it. They're going to explore it. But I think the bigger thing is probably going to be special teams because that seems to be where he excels. Now, I don't necessarily know how well this translates, because he wasn't great in the regular season, but in the preseason, his grades, 2021 Kansas City, 75 PFF grade, 2022 in Kansas City, 74 PFF grade, and then in Buffalo, 67.1, which also is really not that bad. And really, the only reason it was as low as it was is because against Chicago, he had a missed tackle, and that just caused his grade to plummet. But week one against Indy, he had an 86 special teams grade, one tackle and one assisted tackle. And that was just on seven attempts. So um, I think he's a he's a big athletic guy, and I think they're going to try him out, especially on special teams. But similar to some other guys, special teams first, and we'll see what you can do from there. But unlike Christian Welch, he's actually on the 53 right now. And again, he may not stay there, but I think if they can, if he can prove himself as a special teamer, then he'll be just like Dallin Levitt and... Uh, you know, Eric Wilson and Isaiah McDuffie, just freaking ace special teams, man. I like it. And then we have Daniel Whelan, which I think is actually pronounced Whelan, but I enjoy calling him, calling him Whelan because it feels more Irish to me. Uh, Anders Carlson, which I think is Anders Carlson, but I don't care. That's stupid. And then Matt Orzic, which might be Orzic. Don't know, don't care. You know them, you love them. They're your special teamers. And then as of now, I believe the practice squad, we got Kenneth Odomegwu, which is our 17th spot. We get him as a special slot. He gets his own slot, whatever. 
Grant DeBose, Henry Pearson, uh, James Empey, Innes Gaines, Corey Ballantyne, Chris Slayton, Keandre Thomas, Patrick Taylor, Bo Melton, Christian Welch, the new fella, Alex Magoo, Keyshawn Banks, Aaron Mosby, Austin Allen, Kadeem Telford, and Benny Sapp. And then as far as the injuries and whatnot, Eric Stokes is on pup. Tenuta, Tyler Goodson, Lou Nichols, Tyler Davis, Tarvarius Moore, and Broughton Hatcher are all on IR. What form of IR and what it all means, I don't know. And I don't super care aside from Eric Stokes because none of it really matters. I mean, Tyler Davis, but we know he had season and uh, it's a season ender for him. Anyways, I want to end it by just continuing to look at what we've been looking at. I'm, I'm not going to play all the clips, but um, the, the hype train does continue to roll on. I watched uh, Rich Eisen. Rich Eisen has the Packers up to second now. The other guy on his show has the Packers winning the division. There was another guy, and, and the funniest part about the whole thing is that there was a third person who did an NFC North prediction, and he had the Packers last, and he just did nothing but apologize the whole time and say that the reason that his prediction is so bad is because his source was a Bears fan. And so he's like, I wish I could take it back. I'm sorry. And he was a po- And it's just such a crazy moment to me because that's the exact opposite of what it was two, three months ago. You would have one person with a hot take on the Packers that they could possibly win the division, and that person was laughed at, skewered, and they were like, I- I'm serious. I really think it is. And now you've got somebody saying the Packers are in last. And he's just there apologizing, like, I'm sorry, I was talking to a Bears fan, he's an idiot, I don't know, he's biased. It's crazy. And so, I was kind of just perusing through, I started saving some of these websites, because there's a bunch of different sites that have different stats and whatnot that I'm never going to be able to find again. And so I was trying to find a specific thing, I clicked on this one, it's not the right one, but I noticed, what it is, is it's tracking all of the uh, week one, different odds, right? So it's got... um, Projected wins, playoff percentage, division percentage, what percentage you're going to win the division. And then week one, the the odds. And I just glanced and it said Chicago minus one. I've never seen it at minus one. And so I went and checked that Vegas site that, that kind of aggregates a bunch of different places. Sure enough, the odds right now are either minus one or minus 1.5. That is an unbelievably massive jump from yesterday. And so you go look at PFF and sure enough... Again, another spike. I told you that when we started this thing, it was the market was Chicago minus two and a half. And this is as far back as PFF seems to want to go. The market very recently was minus three in favor of Chicago. And I, as I mentioned, I was upset because it had moved from three to minus two, uh, 2.5. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, basically it just means that they're kind of handicapping the Packers two and a half points, which is to say, you know, it, it's kind of like saying, although it's probably not specifically this, the, the Bears are like two and a half point favorites or expected to win by two and a half or whatever. But anyways, they started their tracking at minus two and a half. And as I said, it went from minus two and a half, it jumped to minus two. And then within like 24 hours, it jumped to minus 1.5. And then in another 24 to 48 hours, it jumped to, um, I can't even get this thing to work here now, minus one right there. So we went from minus 2.5 on August 27th, it was minus 2.5. 27, so it's 28, 29, 30, 31. This is four days later from when I'm recording this. In four days, in four days, we went from minus 2.5 to minus 1. 
And PFF has, has been, as I said, they're tracking along with the market, but they are um, basically just giving, um, you can tell they're tracking identical to the market, but they, they obviously have some built-in things that favor the Green Bay Packers. So they actually started at 1.7, and they have the Packers right now, or the Bears, at minus 0. 0.8. So, I mean, it's, it's like I said, every single day I check it and it jumps about a half a point. At this rate, I would absolutely be stunned if the Packers aren't favorites by next week. I wasn't even sure if I was going to be right about the Packers being favorites by the start of week one. At this point, I'd be surprised if we weren't favorites by Monday. As long as this hype train keeps... Because, you got again, you got to understand, everybody, everybody out there right now is saying not only that the Packers are better than the Bears, that's automatic. That's not even discussed anymore. That's not debated. And, and again, this doesn't mean it's correct, but I'm just giving you perspective. The perspective that's out there. The question is, and, and for a lot of these teams, honestly, or for a lot of these debates, it's a question of, we know Chicago's fourth. That's done. For even more, though, we know Minnesota's third. It's a question of, do the Packers or Lions win? That's beginning to be the debate all of a sudden. So not only are we pulling ahead of Chicago, we're beginning to pull ahead of Minnesota. So the, uh, the, the idea that we wouldn't be favorites very quickly, right now, 79% of the money is being placed on Green Bay. If you look at where the quote-unquote sharp action is, that is, professional bettors, where are they putting their money? This is, by the way, why the lines move. It's not just the general public. Most professional bettors are coming in on the side of the Green Bay Packers. The big money, big-time bets, where is it coming? 79% Green Bay. So it's an interesting phenomenon, man. We haven't really been in uh, in a situation like this before. I don't know how many situations there have been like this where um, a team is seen as maybe the worst in football, suddenly about to win their division and sail into the playoffs. I, I don't know when this has ever been a thing before. But sure is interesting, and we're going to keep tracking it. But uh, for now, I'm going to leave you there. You guys have a good rest of your day. I'll talk to you tonight, maybe tomorrow, whatever it is. Talk to you then. Bye-bye.